Hey guys, what's going on? It is Tasha McNerney. I am here live at VMX. Uh, I am talking with the one, the only um, amazing technician and uh, definitely an ECC inspiration to a lot of uh, baby techs out there, uh, the David Liss I am talking to today. Um, and we are going to be talking with David. Um, David is kind of a complete overachiever uh, in all sense of the word. Um, he is not only a technician, but he's also a VTS in ECC. He's a certified veterinary practice manager. Uh, and then he also went and got his master's degree as well. So let's welcome David Liss to the show today. Hey, Tasha, how are you? I'm doing good. How are things? Good, good. The weather is great down here. Loving it. It's actually warmer in Florida than LA. I thought that was never going to happen. <laughs> I mean, it's definitely warmer here than it is in Philadelphia. I think oh, yeah. uh, my husband said it snowed today. We got a little freezing rain. Uh, I think it's a high of 18. Hmm. So I definitely am enjoying being here in Florida. <laughs> just certainly. screenshot the weather app and shoot him pictures of the sun and he'll I, just yeah, live through uh -huh. you vicariously. <laughs> <laughs> he is. Although I think he's pretty happy at home. He said he like took a nap with all three cats. So, uh, yeah. Uh, oh, shout out to uh, my crazy cat lady husband who is at home. Um, but what I want to talk to you uh, quickly today uh, is really emergency and critical care, anesthesia, working together with emergency and critical care. But first of all, you know, you're such a big name in emergency and critical care and the VTS, uh, becoming a VTS in emergency critical care. Um, why did you choose ECC or why were you drawn to it? So, um, you know, when I first started, my first job in emergency critical care was in an after-hours emergency clinic. So open at 6, close at 8 a.m. the next morning, open through the weekend. And I think why I really fell in love with emergency critical care was we just did everything. You know, it wasn't a multi-specialty referral hospital. So, you know, you would literally go up front and do all the reception work, check in the client, you know, fill wow. out the chart, charge them out, run the animal back if it was dying, you know, do the CPR, whatever it is, and then go right next door into the surgery room and knock the animal down for the doctor. So, um, you know, I think just getting to do all those areas, uh, you know, was, was and then the kind of rush of it all um, was what drew me to it. And then as I did that for a few years, years, um, I started to kind of realize that, you know, I was more into the critical care side of it, so then the nursing mm -hmm. side, and so decided to move to a multi-specialty referral to work in the ICU, but I liked the fact that I had that that kind of base of doing everything from, you know, suturing a wound to anesthesia to CPR to central lines, like all in one building, all in one room, essentially. That's awesome. I mean, you certainly probably have seen a ton of cases in your career. Um, as a technician, what are your favorite cases, emergency critical care cases, to deal with? Like, what you know, what do you get really jazzed up about? Oh yeah. So I'm presenting on the big two. So block cats and GDBs. Excellent. Um, and you know, block cats, I love it because they're they're just they're a non-surgical but you're kind of surgerizing them a little bit with catheters and stuff. Mm -hmm. uh, and they can just come in so dead and it's so easy to fix them. We know exactly what to do. There's no question about it. It's not like sepsis where it's a big unknown thing. Mm -hmm. um, and then GDVs too. I mean, it's incredible. The, you know, those dogs like often either walk or get carried in, um, but can be in really severe shock, but they don't really show it, which is interesting. Um, and, and I find a lot of times too, that a lot of people don't get as aggressive with treatment. Um, so, you know, I think that just having a good GEV, and then the great thing about that too is like there's a huge ER stabilizing side, and then guess what? You get to do surgery too and see cool stuff inside. So um, that really is such a well-rounded emergency, and, and you know, most of those dogs do really well, so it tends to be really rewarding. Yeah. Um, and, uh, let's talk about that for a second here, because I, I know you are presenting on uh, GDV, and, and let's talk about that because it does usually almost always involve anesthesia. Um, 
kind of you and I were talking before about really anesthetically, one of the most important things with GDVs is making sure they're stable before we get into surgery. I think we want to rush into surgery, we want to rush into anesthesia. And as anesthesia people, we know that once we turn that, once we turn that inhalant on, kind of all bets are off. We need to make sure our patient is stabilized before. So, you know, talk to the nerds out there and what are some tips you have for stabilizing those patients the best before we get to surgery? Yeah, I've been on both sides. So I've been on the ER side where we like didn't stabilize them very much and shoved them to an anesthesia tech. But I've also been on the side where I've been the anesthesia tech and we haven't had a fully stabilized patient. And so I know what that's like. You know, when I talk about critical care and shock and treatment and stuff, there, you know, I will go to bat with anybody. There are very, very few emergencies where you have to literally run them through the surgery door. You know, even hemoabdomens. Right. There you can get those guys fairly stable. And a lot of them have already clotted up. Um, so same thing goes with GDBs. Um, and, you know, there's this, there's this older method uh, where we... You know, typically you put a catheter in, you you know, you induce them right away and you start orgastrically trying to oh, tube God. them and relieve all that gas. Thank you. Oh, yeah. God is right. Oh, God. It's insane. I mean, I've been on the yeah. let's put an orogastric tube down this Akita <sighs> roller coaster. Yes. It's not fun. Yes. No. And we used to do that. Used to, what we used to do, we used to flip them back and forth and twist yeah. them, all kinds of crazy stuff. We don't need to do that anymore because we have a 14-gauge catheter we can shove into the stomach and let the gas out. And what that does is it doesn't fix the twist, but it starts to normalize their blood volume. It, re it reduces their shock. It reduces that inner abdominal pressure that's pushing on their vena cava, not letting blood circulate around. That helps them a ton. So, you know, get them in, get a catheter in, get some blood work going, um, get some fluids started, get them trocarized, and give them some pain meds. That's the other area that we, oh, we don't want to give them pain meds because, God forbid, hydro makes them vomit. First of all, they can't vomit, okay? Their lower esophageal sphincters all twisted up. Second of all, we know. Know, and there isn't a study that proves this, but we know that giving hydro to critical care patients doesn't make them vomit. Yeah, they don't vomit. They usually don't vomit. Exactly. So, and I've seen so, like, I've seen create, you know, sub buprenorphine because we're worried about, and it's just nuts. Like, they are as critical as a hit by car bleeding out. Like, that's, you know, mm -hmm. and they're as painful as, you know, as that. They're super painful. Exactly. I mean, again, if you have a twisted stomach, you're talking about severe visceral oh. pain. Oh, yeah. And the thing for that is opioids. Exactly. And good opioids, exactly. too. <laughs> right? We're not throwing butorphanol on right. these patients. Exactly. So, you know, I think that, that and, and I think all the things that I meant, you know, fluids, um, you know, pain meds, trocarizing, you know, flow by oxygen, well, all the little shock tools, you know, we just, we don't do that well in GDVs before we go to surgery. We just pretty much, they come in, we get that estimate sign, and then it's like catheter, propofol, and orgastrically, you know, ripping around in there. And there's some decent reports of, you know, for, and, and there's some was anecdotal evidence, but there's some idea that if you shove that orgastric tube in and you're twisting it, flipping, you can absolutely tear their esophagus. Absolutely. And to me, that's terrifying. So trocarize them, get them all stable. And then when you go into surgery, the surgeon can unflip a degassed stomach and then you can pass a tube mm -hmm. and make sure it's all patent and get all their stomach flushed out. Like such a safer way to do that, um, especially when they're way more hemodynamically stable. Yeah, I mean, it's, and that's exactly what you said, and kind of like, I'm really happy that you said that, and we can maybe get that information out there, because I think that sometimes we are so excited about going to surgery, again, surgery is like this really sexy thing, right? Um, oh, yeah. Just stabilizing your patient with fluids isn't like as fun and right, exciting right, right. Uh, as just getting into surgery, right. and putting the gown on, etc. But we do need to make sure that we're not setting ourselves up for failure or setting our yeah. patients up for, you know, kind of a really rocky roller coaster under anesthesia, mm -hmm. uh, yeah. because we 
once we put in an inhalant anesthesia that is going to vasodilate them, we need to make sure that they're stable before we go in. So I, I love it. Fluids, Absolutely. analgesics all the way, oxygen therapy, and then, you know, reassess. Yeah. yeah. Are your fluids doing what you want it to do? Mm -hmm. Are you where you need to be before surgery? Exactly. Right? I mean, you know, yeah, exactly. If they're, if they're tanking before surgery, surgery is not going to help them. It's going to probably hurt them. You know, yes. the, as you guys know, the, the more unstable a patient that goes into surgery, the higher the mortality, right? So, you know, let's get them as stable as we can. And gosh, we're actually truly stable, not unstable with a little stability going on yes. there, like fully stable before they go into surgery. And, you know, listen, I, I, I know that technicians don't do surgery. You've got to work with your vets to get them to calm down. Like, I know they want to get the scalpel in their hand, cut and flip the stomach. And some of the veterinarians that are older and done this a long time, that's how they've done it forever. It's just run them into surgery and, you know, do it. Just get them to slow down, work with them on, hey, let me get some fluids. Let me get the patient, you know, if they're cold, warmed up. Let me get some oxygen. Let me get the blood running. Let me get some pain meds. Like, work with those veterinarians um, on that full shock treatment plan. They will get to cut that dog. I promise you. <laughs> they will get to cut that dog. Just got to do it a little cut. later. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Excellent. Um, so, that sounds awesome. But let me talk about, you know, just you personally uh, for a second. We'll kind of get out of the, the case-based stuff. Um, I always like to let people um, have an opportunity to give a shout-out to your mentor because I think in this field as technicians, especially when you want to spe specialize, uh, it's nice to have a mentor. So do you have anybody in your career that really influenced your career to kind of put you where you are today? Oh, my gosh. I have many, but I will I can limit it to three okay, <laughs> for this podcast. Yeah. So um, the first one, uh, and, and this is no uh, in order of importance, uh, the first one would be Andrea Steele. Um, she's a master's degree VTS uh, ECC certified technician at Guelph in Ontario. Mm -hmm. um, and when I was a real baby tech um, learning about ECC, I think I took every single course that she offered um, on VSPN. And it was, uh, I think there was a two-part critical care nursing module. And I think I must have like emailed and messaged her a million times. Well, you know, she'd make a statement like, I don't know, you know, the peach is this and that. So it was, well, why is it that? Well, why is it that? You know, and she did all the physiology and she knew it all. And so I learned a ton from her, um, and then I got to meet her in person, and she's just a lovely, wonderful person. And she is fantastic. super smart. Um, and then the other two would be Harold Davis and Nancy Schaffrin. So Harold Davis, um, he's the very first technician I ever saw give a lecture, um, and he's fantastic. And so I've, I've known him over the years, um, and I was fortunate enough to travel with him to Australia. We were on the same flight. We were speaking awesome. at a conference. And I, I'll never forget, like, he, he'd, done, he'd, he'd been around. I mean, he's done everything. And so he was like, did you pre-order your meal? Because he's like picked his meal out, and I'm like, I, I don't, I don't know what that even is, you know. So he was like, oh, and it was just great. Like we just, you know, slept, you know, we were like he's sleeping like, on the same flight. Let me show out. you the way. Exactly, exactly. Um, and then Nancy Schaffron because she's a freaking legend um, and just a wonderful person. And I think um, from Nancy, I think I learned. Um, you know, she, she was the one that judged my case report at IVEX that I won and then kind of launched my speaking career. Um, and she, she like debated with me. She was like, well, I, I was talking about corticosteroid insufficiency in sepsis. She's like, I just think it's Addison's. And I'm like, no, Nancy, no, Nancy, this is Cersei. Uh, and so we had a nice debate. But I think from Nancy, I learned that you can, she can make a genuine connection with every single person she meets. And she meets, she's met hundreds of thousands of people. Mm -hmm. And I think that's an amazing skill. And so I would just kind of watch that and went, oh, like every conference 
conference person, I mean, every attendee in the audience, you can make a personal connection. And so that was a skill that I learned from her. Yeah, I mean, I will uh, definitely attest that Nancy is just one of the greatest uh, people in the history of the world, um, maybe possibly only <laughs> surpassed by her wife, Rachel, that who is possible. also <laughs> one of the greatest people in the history of the world. Um, well, that's all the time we have, because guess what, David? You have to speak soon. Right. Oh, my um, God. <laughs> so uh, thanks for joining us and taking some time while you're here at BMX to hang out on the podcast, and I hope that we have you on again soon. Awesome. Thanks, Tasha. Take care, guys. Hey nerds, thanks so much for listening to the podcast today and every week. Just a reminder that you can find us at Veterinary Anesthesia Nerds on Facebook and on Instagram at Vet Anesthesia Nerds. Stay tuned for information about our Veterinary Anesthesia Nerds Symposium, which is a two-day conference taking place in Las Vegas, Nevada this October and every October for nothing but two days of anesthesia and pain management extravaganza, geeking out, nerding out, whatever you want to call it. Oh, and we have a happy hour too. I want to let you know that the music on the podcast is brought to you by Suburban Living, which is a really fantastic band out of Philadelphia. Check them out on Spotify or on Apple Music. And I also want to give a shout out to the whole reason that this podcast comes together. My husband, veterinary technician extraordinaire, Robert Cantagallo. Uh, without him, I wouldn't be able to put together such a nice sounding uh, podcast for you guys. Um, but also without him, I probably would go completely insane as well. So shout out to Rob. Love ya. All right. Thanks so much, guys. And we will see you next week.